0: Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, a writer and researcher at MLB.com, joined by Matt Myers, MLB.com National Content Editor. Today is Thursday, August 10th, 2023. We are going to talk about the ever-changing nationally wild card race. We're going to talk about the thing that the Braves are maybe historically good at. We're going to talk about the Blue Jays, who are having some massive problems with runners in scoring position. We're going to talk about how Bobby Witt Jr.'s breakout is happening in real time. And Matt and I each have a pair of guys to talk about. My guy's going to be very fun. I think for the first time in Ballpark Dimensions guy history, I'm talking about a guy who was previously traded for a different guy earlier this season. Matt, the uh, National League wildcard race is kind of a mess and it seems like it's changing all the time. There is a stretch for a little while where the three teams uh, were like in different orders. right? Arizona, Cincinnati, and Miami. And... Those are like young, interesting teams that are maybe here a little bit quicker than we thought. And I'm pretty convinced not a single one of them is actually going to make the postseason. As things stand today, right now, uh, Thursday afternoon, we have Philadelphia with the first wild card, San Francisco second. Miami still holds the third, but as we'll discuss, I do not buy into them at all. The Cubs and Cincinnati are both a half game out, Arizona two and a half out, San Diego four and a half out. Is it too soon in your opinion? If we were to look at those three young, interesting teams, Arizona, Miami, and Cincinnati, even though one of them holds a wildcard spot and say, that was fun, moving
1: on. I don't think so, because I would have expected the Padres to sort of have made their run by now and kind of been like, okay, we're going to be the team that gets the third wildcard spot. And that just does not seem to be happening. And the Cubs are by no means a juggernaut either. So it's almost by default that I feel as though Arizona, Miami, and Cincinnati are still in the mix. I mean, the the, the vibes in the Padres right now are really bad. And it's sort of shocking because I would have thought at this point, because like part of the reason they bought at the deadline was like, okay, the run differential is really good. All their secondary indicators suggest this team's about to like get going. They've now lost four in a row. And then after last night, Juan Soto basically was like, yeah, we give up. He was like, we've got to go out there and grind. It's been really inconsistent. Some days we do, some days we don't. We have to do it every day. Days like this, series like this, we just give up. Like literally, we just give up instead of keep grinding, keep pushing. I mean, that's not great from one of your superstar players to literally admit that we're we're giving up in in games. Um, So I don't really know what to make of the Padres. I mean, their whole season is wild. And I've got an amazing Padres stat I want to share with you in a second, but I want to hear what you're about to say, because you've got a look on your face.
0: I do. Um, I want to take us on a brief tangent. Do you remember last year, there was like this big... Talking point about how old managers were back, right? Like Terry Francona is doing great. Show Walter's doing great. Well, who runs the Padres? It's Bob Melvin, who's been around forever. Uh, are the Mets any good this year? They're not. Is Cleveland any good this year? They're not. Nobody's going to talk about it from that point of view. I just think that's funny because you're talking about vibes, right? Are the vibes around the Padres good? Are they going to change their manager? Should they? I don't think so. Are the Mets going to fire Buck Showalter, at least not before the end of the season? It's it's rough when you've got a team that, I don't know, how many managers has AJ
1: Preller hired? 30? Something like that? <laughs> Where Now we're talking about vibes? I don't, What do you do with that? And like, what are the things, so like, what I cannot wrap my head around, and this is the amazing Padre stat I wanted to share. Do you know what the record is in extra inning games? Uh, it was,
0: as of a couple days ago, 0-11. I don't know if that's still
1: true. Uh, it's 0-10. Oh, and 10, sorry. Yes. Oh, and 10. They are 0 and 10 in extra inning games. Like, that is unfathomable. They are 6 and 18 in one run games. That is also unfathomable. Like, you, you compare them to the Marlins, a team that they are competing with for a wild card spot, and the Marlins are currently four games ahead of them in the lost column. The, card- the, the, the Marlins are 6 and 2 in extra inning games and 26 and 10 in one run games. And, like, I don't know what you do with this, right? Like, usually like one run games are one of those things. And we see it from year to year where it's like, it doesn't carry over from one season to the next. So it's hard to say like, Oh, this is a skill. Usually it's like, okay, well this team's got a really good bullpen or like, there's like some like things you can suggest that point to one to the other. But like, I don't know what you do with this. If you're the Padres or you're like the Padres front office or the Padres manager, like where do you begin?
0: Yeah. That, that I did know that's that. And that's one of the reasons I, I have not been able to quit them. I guess, right? Because it's like, oh, that's so dumb. That That's why they're in this situation. There's no way that could last. Surely that will even out and they will skyrocket up because, like I said, I, said, I don't trust most of the other teams. And what's happened over the last couple of days has not helped my confidence <laughs> in a San Diego regard. The other thing that hasn't helped me is I'd somewhat written off the Cubs. And now the Cubs are like they are seemingly for real. The Cubs might win the division. Actually, um, the, the before we move on from those last three teams, did you realize Arizona since July first is eight and twenty four? I, I mean, I don't think I ever thought they would sustain because the pitching wasn't there. But eight and twenty like, four? How does that happen? That they are only two and a half games out, but they're one and nine in their last ten. You know, they of all of these teams we're talking about, they seem I think the least likely to get back in this.
1: Uh, yeah, it's, I, the, they were the team, one of those teams where like, early on we looked at them and it was kind of like, how are they going to get to the, where are they the inning is going to come from? And it, it has very much caught up with them. They do, and this is like this is actually very interesting from the Padres' perspective, but also interesting from the D-backs' perspective. The D-backs and Padres play three games this weekend and then a four-game series next weekend. So like, that could go a long way towards determining the fate of both those teams as it applies to the wildcard race seven games over the course of the next two weeks. I mean, the Padres' schedule is fascinating. They've got the D- Diamondbacks, they get the Orioles at home, and then the Diamondbacks at home for four, and then the Marlins at home for three. So like the next like two weeks for the Padres will very much determine their future as they've got a lot of head-to-head games and then another tough series against the Orioles, and they're playing other wildcard teams. So a lot can really shake out over the next couple weeks um, when those teams start to facing each other. I mean, you mentioned the Cubs – who were on a heater and then of course they went and lost a series to the <laughs> corpse of the mets which was not great either so i'm not really sure what to do with them either but someone's going to win that division right it's going to be it's going to be the brewers or the reds or the cubs and so those teams have a little bit of an edge in the wildcard race races that they, because they kind of have two paths to the playoffs while all these other teams really only have one
0: yeah and that's reflected in the playoff odds. If you look at Fangraphs, so the Cubs, for example, have a fifty uh, percent odds of making the playoffs, but only a twenty-one percent chance of making the wild card, because obviously there's a whole lot of they might win that division in there. So as things stand right now, let, let's start with what we agree on. I imagine we are in total agreement. The Atlanta Braves will win the East. There's not a whole lot of, <laughs> a lot of controversy in that one. I, it seems like the Dodgers are pulling away in the West, and like total side tangent if this dodger team wins like 97 games i will never stop laughing about this this team of all teams where it's like oh they're weak they're vulnerable you're gonna win 97
1: games yeah i mean and- I, I, I i'll stay on the, the dodgers tangent and maybe we may talk about this more in a future podcast i'm not sure any of these, even as good as the Dodgers teams have been in recent years, I'm not sure they've ever had a pair of players having as good a seasons concurrently as Betts and Freeman are having. But that we can look into that deeper uh, in a future podcast. Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to have to go
0: back and think about that 2019 Cody Bellinger MVP season. To see who else is on that club. But but anyway, those two teams are making the playoffs, right? And as things stand now, Milwaukee is winning the Central. If we were to have the season end today, Philly, San Francisco, and Miami are your wild card teams. I strongly do not believe those will be the three wildcard teams right at the end of the season who are you seeing in the
1: wildcard i don't yeah really, I, I, know. Would, I would have said i would have said the Padres a week ago but their play the last week yes. has really like made me question that and but i don't i don't have a better i don't have a better answer um so you think it's these three you think philly san francisco miami Philadelphia is team vibes.
0: Like I don't want to gloss over Michael Lorenzen's no hitter last night, uh, but it was awesome. That the Phillies, you know, were super inconsistent for most of the season, and now all of a sudden, like the fans are sending love letters to Trade Turner. And Michael Lorenzen is like a cult hero. Like that, this is, seems to be what they do.
1: I mean, they have a four game lead on the on the, the the Cubs, who are the first team out right now. I think the the Philly, yeah, I'm I feel good about the Phillies right now. They kind of are who we thought they were. Where where they're going to kind of end up? If 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 the if the Reds had won that game yesterday, I would have said I, I'll pick the Reds. But then the Reds had like a gut punch, awful loss yesterday, and I'm you know I just I don't know. Like can I cop out? I I have the most confidence in the in the Padres, I guess. So I guess I'll still say the Padres for now. Wow. Okay. Because I was I was totally with you until that like a week ago.
0: Uh, I would have said yes, the Padres are going to do it. Like there's they're going to. And now over the last couple of days, it's like. At a certain point, you actually just have to do it and they're not. Phillies, Giants, Cubs, is, is what I think I'm gonna go with. Right? That's not that far from what it is right now, honestly. But that's sort of the point of the season we're getting to.
1: That's fair. I mean, the Cubs, that would be that would be it's it's nice when teams surprise you. I thought they'd be a five hundred team. I didn't think they'd be a playoff team. So they're playing a little above like what I expected, and and they did make some moves on the trade deadline. If they can get Sturman back, they're probably like, they, they probably have the highest floor of the teams left, is what, but it's probably and what it, I think, what, what I would say.
0: Yeah. And, and if it ends up in the same order, right? Uh, Dodgers and Braves would get the bye. You would end up with Brewers, Cubs in the wildcard series which that would be more than a little bit of fun. I'd be excited about that. Remember all three games, best of three are at the home team or at the the higher seat, right? So there's not a couple of games here, a couple of games there. Um, Cubs would go to Milwaukee for three games. I think that would be super fun. We we will talk about the American league some other time, but it's just not as interesting as the national league. I think because the uh, national league has just been nonstop chaos, chaos for uh, weeks. And uh, that doesn't seem to be changing. We'll take a quick break and we'll be back on the MLB.com ballpark dimensions podcast. We're back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast, Mike Petriello and Matt Myers. Each week in the middle of our show, we like to have a segment we call the three batter minimum, where we pick three particularly interesting topics. And the first one is about the Atlanta Braves, who I don't know if you know this, are very, very good at baseball. And there's a number of reasons for that. They seem to keep fleecing the Oakland A's in trades, and they have homegrown stars like Ronald Acuna and Ozzy Albies. But the thing that has really stood out to me is just how deep they are right if you look up and down the lineup you know it's not just the stars at the top it's not Matt Olson it's not just Acuna it's not uh Austin Riley right the bottom of the lineup you know Michael Harris has been very good this year uh, Orlando Arcia, if you forgot this started for the National League in the All-Star game at shortstop and so what I did was I wrote about this a little bit and I was like there's no there's no holes here you know it's not top heavy there's no plate appearances where you're taking time off and I tried to quantify that so here's what I did I went through every lineup in baseball history and I used the metric weighted runs created plus, right? So it just sets 100 as league average for that year. And I didn't want to set like, you know, productive and non-productive at average because if you're like the slightest tick below average and you're the team's like 10th best hitter, That's not a bad thing to have. I'm specifically talking about Eddie Rosario here, who's been like slightly below average and not like having a great season, but still he's like the 10th best hitter on the Braves. They're not going to complain about this. So I set the bar at 95, so 5% below average. And I just wanted to know percentage of plate appearances for every team ever, which team has given the fewest or lowest percent of their plate appearance to these sub 95 non-productive hitters? Would you believe the Braves this year have done that just 8% of the time? And that is the second lowest of any team since 1920. And when you see a stat like that, you're like, well, the other teams that better be interesting, uh, the first team is the 1984 Tigers, who had like the most dominating start to a season in history. And the team right after the Braves would be the 2003 Red Sox, who you know didn't win the World Series, but were an extremely good offense and then won the World Series the next year and i know we get a little hyperbolic with like the best ever this and that this feels like it matches the eye test right matt when you watch the braves i mean you don't get to like number 8 and number 9 and say god thanks we have a breather here there is a quality competent major league hitter and i think that's part of
1: their greatness no question i mean i think i think my favorite stat from the piece that you wrote was that currently the braves are getting a 812 ops from their number 9 hitters and that's not just the best of uh Of all number nine hitters in baseball, it's better than twenty of twenty nine teams are getting from their leadoff hitters. So basically, the Braves' ninth hitter is better than most teams' leadoff hitters. Like that was like the stat that really, really kind of blew my mind. You know, in in my memory, when I think of like deepest lineup ever from baseball that I watched, the team that always comes to mind for me is the nineteen ninety five Cleveland then Indians, um, which was just like. That team was a juggernaut of a team. They won 100 games in a 144-game season. It would have been 112 wins prorated over a 162-game season. They had the most runs allowed in the league and the fewest runs – the most runs scored and the fewest runs allowed, like a total juggernaut. And then I was going back and looking at their lineup because off the top of my head, I was like, oh, you know, had yeah, Albert Bell, Manny Ramirez, Jim Tomei, Kenny Lofton. like, But even they had – Omar Vizquel and a 78 OPS plus at shortstop, and Tony Pena and a 75 OPS plus behind the plate. Like the Braves have one of the best hitting catchers in baseball, and Sean Murphy and Arcia. Like what's fun about Arcia was that like he at one point he was like a top five prospect with the Brewers, and it's just like oh this guy's never going to hit, and then like the Braves got him and like it was like their shortstop got hurt. Early in the year, a few years ago, maybe it was – I don't even know. They like made like an April trade to get him. He started playing like the left field, and then like now he's an all-star again. And part of what's so crazy about the Braves is that they lost Dansby Swanson, who was great for them last year, who's arguably been the best of all the shortstops signed last year, of all the big shortstops signed, having a great year, going to get MVP votes, and they haven't missed a beat. Like it's really just – a, remar- a remarkable lineup. I mean, I was, I was looking up barrels on Baseball Savant. The Braves have lead the majors by far with 354 barrels as a team. That's 64 more than the Rangers and Dodgers who are tied at, at number two, who have 290. The difference between first and second in barrels is the same as the difference between second and 20th. Like, that's what we're talking about here in terms of, like, dominant offense. Uh, you're not
0: wrong about her. Yeah, uh, they traded for him midway through 2021 when, um, I believe it was Abraham Almonte got injured and then they just like stuck him in left field. Here's your 2023 starting shortstop in the all-star game. And he just mostly played like uninspiring left field for them a couple of years ago. Um, When I, when I posted that, I had people asking about other teams as you just did. And yeah, every great team that came up, there was always like one guy who was a total black hole. So one of the teams that came up was the 2017 Astros, right? Um, Very good team, obviously controversy but uh Carlos Beltrán was terrible that year 502 plate appearances of incredibly below average offense um the catchers weren't very good and they just they don't have that you know that's the interesting thing to me and the fact is they have rated this well and it's not like it's gone perfectly all year long like Ozuna was terrible for the first 6 weeks or so of the season right before he turned it on Rosario has been like a little bit up and down and i think part of this goes back to the fact that they have their four big stars playing every single day you know Acuna plays every day Riley plays every day Olsen plays every day Albies plays every day and even like you know Murphy doesn't because he's the catcher but their backup catcher is Travis Darno, who's pretty good so this is a little bit like I don't want to say biased in their direction because obviously the guys are Staying healthy and playing, but every plate appearance given to Ronald Acuna is a plate appearance not given to I don't know Kevin Pillar or something like that, who would would probably drag this down. So it, it is a it's an appreciation not only of talent and quality but of durability because like four guys playing every day in 2023
1: is wild. Yeah, I mean the Braves, you know, have had a few of their stars playing regularly for a few years now. Like Olson has been someone who plays all the time. Acuna obviously has injur- injuries in the past, been durable this year. Anthony Kaspern actually wrote a piece about this today for MLB.com because there is actually currently 11 players who played every game this year, which is like unheard of at this point of the year. And like talking about the new rules and how that's like, you know, making it easier to play every day. And Austin Riley said that last year, just the Braves told them they tracked him. They tracked his, his movement on the field just by virtue of going doing the infield shift. So going back and forth from third base to short right field, third base to short right field, or whatever right, or whatever shifting he was doing, he ran 45 miles last year just by virtue of the shift. So like that's 45 miles that are going to be taken off of his legs this year um, by not having to shift all the time. And he was like, I definitely feel a lot fresher than I have in years in years past. It's one of those numbers that sounds kind of incredible when you first hear it, but then you think, okay, he plays 162 games, a quarter mile a game, 45, basically 45 miles, but it's still a lot, right? So I thought that was kind of wild. I want to know if they adjusted for whether uh,
0: they were in the first base dugout or the third base dugout, because that's not always consistent, obviously. Um, that's interesting. I did, I had not read that. I'm going to make sure to check that out. The, the Braves, like, there's just so many numbers you could recite, so I won't make you endure too many. They have the best hard hit rate of any team since StatCast has started tracking, right? The 2023 Braves are number one. They go opposite field less than any other national league team. Like, that's why they're so interesting. They've got this like old school baseball men coaching staff, Snicker and Washington. And they kind of play in a a more modern way, I guess. Although they've really cut their strikeout rate by a lot. Acuna, especially, he's cut his strikeout rate like in half while not losing any of his power. And I, I think that kind of goes to like, if he can do that and everybody else can do this, where's the weakness? And the answer is it's not in the lineup. Actually, the pitching staff because the pitching staff has been kind of terrible for the last month, and I, I think that's going to make them more vulnerable than you'd think in the postseason. Like they'll go in as this overwhelming favorite for good reason, and then you're going to look at the pitching staff if Freed can't go, if Wright can't go, and go, I'm "Not so sure about this." There's a, a lot of weaknesses here, and I think that's going to make for a super fun postseason. I don't want someone to come in and like roll over everybody. All right, our second topic: um, the Toronto Blue Jays have a really weird runners in scoring position problem i have always treated risk in this as i don't want to say luck or a fluke but it's not something that is very repeatable you know uh, i think we talked earlier in the year texas got off to this great start because they were hitting with RISP in the same way the 1927 yankees were that hasn't lasted of course but look at what the blue jays are doing and the numbers really stand out so in their last three games uh they've won three to one lost one nothing and scored one and one, one nothing, right? They are only fifteenth in baseball in runs scored, which is you know average, mediocre. But they're seventh in weighted runs created plus, which is really good. And here's the disconnect there, right? With the bases empty, fantastic, fourth best in baseball in terms of weighted run created plus. With the runners in scoring position. 27th in weighted runs created plus better than only the yankees the a's and the royals teams that are nowhere near the playoffs and so if you look at their RISP ops which is a terrible phrase i just had to say it's 682 and i went back to every playoff team that's ever made the playoffs to try. has anybody ever made the playoffs with runners in scoring position performance that bad the answer is a couple but not many Only six teams ever, and I'm not going to read them off for you because you you won't remember any of them. The 1981 Royals, the 1983 Dodgers, like these aren't teams that went far, is the point. It is almost impossible to do this. And while I keep thinking, yeah, this this is a fluke, it's not sustainable. Uh, Last night I was watching the game and they had the bases loaded to no outs. How many runs do you think they scored in that situation, Matt? Zero. The answer is zero. What do you do with this?
1: I'm not sure what you do with this. I'll also note that of the teams you mentioned, two of them were this uh, the split season of 1981. So all sorts of weirdness happened that year too. So that, that you almost can like sure. throw those out the window. I'm not sure what you do with it. Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk about uh, Vlad- Vladimir Guerrero's kind of weird, disappointing season, but he's actually one of the guys whose numbers actually align pretty well in terms of bases empty versus runners in scoring position. I mean, for at least from the eye test and like the the a lot of the players in their lineup who've really struggled in these situations are not the kind of guys that would be considered like great situational hitters, you know, Brandon Belt, George Springer, Matt Chapman. These are guys who are like kind of like grip it and rip it type of hitters and not saying that approach is bad per se, but I think it lends more to like, it makes it more likely that you will have some of these like wide variances because it's just like, you don't know what you're going to get, you know, does, does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it does. Um, you know, Blue Jays fans are kind of yelling like, oh, fire the hitting coach. And it's funny because you can point to the guys who are doing worse with runners in scoring position and you ignore the fact that like Kevin Biggio and Danny Jansen are doing way better with runners in scoring position. That's, that's why I do think it's somewhat random. It's not necessarily a team-wide thing. But if you look at a couple of the guys who've really, really struggled uh, with runners on a couple of days ago, I had looked into why. And it turns out there's different reasons for all of them, right? It's not like one thing. So, for example, as you said, Brandon Belt, and these numbers are of a couple days ago, so maybe slightly different now. With bases empty, he had a 32% strikeout rate, which is kind of high. With runners in scoring position, it was 46%, which is completely unacceptable. Uh, Matt Chapman's pull rate is up by like 10 points. So is is he pressing? Is he trying something different? I don't know. And uh, George Springer's ground ball rate is up by like 10 points which all all that illustrates to me is randomness i think you know like it's it's weird and it doesn't make sense and you could see it like changing on a dime and even despite all this the team's 14 games over 500 if they got like a hit in a big spot ever they might be leading the east right now like that's how that's how good the pitching staff is the bullpen's been great defense in the outfield's been pretty good i know Pichette's hurt right now this is the thing that's holding them back and even still 14 games over 500 is a really good disappointing year to have. <laughs> I guess is the way to
1: say it. I think that what's weird with them specifically is that they've had like these young guys, specifically Vlad Jr., Boba and like they looked like a team that was really on the ascent. It was like, oh, this is like the next great ALS AL East team. And it looks like they're already kind of being passed in that category by the Orioles. So even though they're probably going to play be in the postseason this year, and they're well set up to be a good team for the next couple of years, like no question, there is sort of this vibe of like, oh, this team's about to be a real juggernaut, and they still might just be settling in regularly as like the third best team in that division. So I think there's just like a little bit of disappointment, specifically from their fan base, of those like probably watching the Orioles and be like, wait, that's that's supposed to be us. Like we're supposed to be the team that's like the darlings of baseball and like, you know, taking over this division. So it just, I think that's, there's a little bit of a disconnect there too. And so people kind of like, it's easy to focus on things that aren't going right when a lot is going right. Yes.
0: And, and they are a couple of years ahead of the Orioles in terms of age, right? Like some of these famous young sons of famous players are getting into arbitration years and free agency and like Vlad doesn't have a you know long term contract, and this was this was the time. Now is the time. It's not like well we're building towards something like the Orioles might be. Uh, this was the time to do it. And like again, it's hard to be crushed by being fourteen games over five hundred. It just hasn't totally felt like it. But here's a good thing. I want to leave Blue Jays fans with this. It's not hard to see this all coming together for three weeks in October. You know, <laughs> like that's all it takes. Especially when you have Kevin Gosman as your number one starter. Chris Bassett, a really good bullpen. Like I think of all the teams who aren't going to win a division, this is probably the one I could easy, most easily see like just running for three weeks in October.
1: Well, you compare them to, I mean, you compare to the Orioles, right? Like I'll take Gossman over anyone yeah. in the Orioles staff starting a game, right? Um, and when McClanahan out, I'll probably take him over any, whoever, whoever the Rays will we'll put out there, right? Like, so it's like, there's there's reasons to feel good about them in October baseball, um, even if they're going to end up finishing however many games be behind behind the Orioles. It looks like yeah. I mean they should and what we you know they should make the wild card, but like the Mariners are playing really good ball now, and like that could actually that could end up being a really fun race.
0: Yeah, I was going to say last point on them if they make the wild card and they're the number six seed, they would go to the number three seed, which is Minnesota. I know who I'm favoring in that series. And it's not the Twins. I don't want to say it's like an easy path, but it's not the worst thing in the world. All right. Our final topic uh, is another famous young son of a former major leaguer. Bobby Witt Jr. is having like the breakout is here, it seems like. So Like depending on how you view the quality of major league players, you could look at last year, his rookie season as a big success or a big failure, right? If you were to say, hey, a rookie went 20-30, right? 20, steals and thir- uh, 20 homers and 30 steals like that, that's, that's really good. You might also say, but he had an on-base percentage of 294, and the defensive metrics all hated him, negative 11 OAA. And so it turned out, at least at baseball reference, he had 0.9 wins above replacement. This year, well, he's already 20-30, right? 20 homers, 34 steals. On-base percentage isn't great, but it's better. It's above 300. But it's the defense that really stands out, right? The defense is unbelievable. 13 outs above average is the best of any shortstop. And if you look at StatCast fielding run value, which attempts to put all the positions on the same scale, he is uh, tied for sixth, the sixth best fielder after being one of the weakest last year. And I know to a lot of people that kind of wild swing makes you question defensive metrics a little bit, which is like totally fair. But I think in this case, you had a first year player who was playing two spots, who's playing some third base, which he'd never really played before the eye test looked bad the errors were piling up uh i don't i don't see any reason to doubt the numbers on this one he looked like the worst fielder in the infield last year he looks spectacular this year obviously uh you know the the talent and the pedigree is there he was the number two overall pick behind adley Rutschman a couple years ago did you know he is the first player in the history of the american league or national league to go 2030 in each of his first two seasons like that's an incredible fact and if you're adding that to like not just decent defense but like quality defense it's finally something good for uh, the royals organization i think because they've really fallen on tough times especially this year and if he's going to be the guy that you thought when you drafted him number two that is something you can build on for
1: like years to come for sure and i mean you think of the the royals of even the team that won the world series they had all these prospects and they all became like good players together at the right time but none of them popped as like super duper stars, like probably Sal Perez will end up having the best career of that whole group and like very good player, tremendous career, but it was never like, oh, this guy's on the short list of the best players in baseball. And like Bobby Witt Jr. is kind of heading in that direction. Um, he's so much fun to watch. The tools are electric. I do mm-hmm. feel like we're actually kind of in a um, and maybe this is, some of this is going to be where the game goes because of, maybe because of the new rules and you know, like we're in a really, feel like a good era of power speed players, obviously Acuna, Bobby Witt Jr., Corbin Carroll, Luis Robert, Fernando Tetis Jr., Julio Rodriguez. Like it is a, it's a fun group, Ellie De La Cruz. I mean, like, it is a fun group of players who really can do a lot of things like high end, high end tools across the board. Um, and Witt is like, is he could be that like, he's one of those guys. It's like, okay, in, in five years, maybe two years, you know, top five player in baseball. Like he's that that kind of player.
0: Yeah, I, I think we get uh, spoiled sometimes by how many of these guys, these highly touted prospects have just appeared on day one and been great. You know, Acuna was great from like the moment he got here. Once Soto, right? And we sort of forget that for some guys, it, it takes a minute. And even if he was showing all the things that his talent was capable of last year, uh, there was a lot to work on. And like credit to him for doing it. You know, Jake Mintz, uh, our friend from Suspicious Family Barbecue, who writes for Fox Sports, talked to Bobby Wood about this, and he was like, "Yeah, I put in a ton of work with like infield coaches this winter. Like, I knew it was a problem. I knew it was something I wanted to improve on. Um, it probably also can't be overstated. He's just playing shortstop. He's not being asked to play multiple spots this year, which I think is a big part of it. Uh, but this is this is I know this is a low bar to clear." Maybe the best takeaway the Royals can take from this season. Look, the season has been a, a total mess in a lot of different ways. I think they're going to have a lot of turnover this year. The fact that Witt looks like he's not going to be... Not that he was a bust last year, but maybe a little bit of a disappointment. The fact that he looks like superstar for years to come, that's huge for them. You know, the fact that they traded uh, our oldest Chapman to uh, Texas for Cole Reagans, who's been unbelievably good, they need building blocks there. I don't know if Reagans is that guy yet, but the fact that they, they're getting some positive vibes, uh, that's huge for them. I think that's fantastic. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back. And Matt and I will each talk about a couple of guys you should know more about. We're back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Mike Petriol and Matt Myers. Each week, we like to end our show with a couple of guys that I feel like you should know more about. As I teased earlier, this may be our first guy who was traded for a previous guy. A couple weeks ago, I talked about Jeff Hoffman, who had been traded between the Reds and Colorado in 2020. And now I'm going to talk about Robert Stevenson, who was part of the same trade. That's right. The legendary 2020 Reds-Rockies-Jeff Hoffman trade has two capital G guys in it. Robert Stevenson pitches for the Rays right now, but that wasn't always true. He has gone from being dumped by the Rockies and the Pirates to this absolutely incredible fact, here is a list since July second. Uh, excuse me, since June second, when Tampa Bay acquired him. Here is a list of the highest whiff percentage in baseball, minimum of one hundred swings. Number one: Aroldis Chapman. If that makes sense. Number two: Robert Stevenson, above Andres Munoz, Felix Bautista, and Devin Williams. Literally, Robert Stevenson. And if you're shaking your head and going, "Those pesky Rays—they've done it again." That is exactly what has happened. So let's quick backstory here. How did we get here? He was the 27th overall pick by the Reds back in 2011. That was the year Garrett Cole went first. He got up to the bigs in 2016. was never really that good. Ended up a reliever pretty quickly. Bottomed out in the COVID year <laughs> with these incredible numbers. He had a 990 ERA. And of the 11 hits he allowed, eight were home runs. I didn't even know that was possible. That was a thing you could do. Time to move on. Uh, He was traded from the Reds to the Rockies in that Jeff Hoffman trade. He was okay in 2021. DFA'd by the Rockies in August of 22, which, like, I love the Rockies. I don't try to jump on the Rockies, but you DFA'd a guy who's got the second highest whiff rate in baseball. That seems like something you want to work on. Uh, The Pirates claimed him off waivers. He had a five ERA this year and was traded for non top 30 prospect Alika Williams, an infielder. So he gets to the Rays. He either started throwing a cutter. Or he turned his slider into a cutter, however you want to look at it. Uh, But this new pitch or new version of it has eight inches less drop. And he took his 99th percentile spin rate seam, and he threw it higher in the zone. I'm sure there's more to it than that, but that is basically it. And now he's striking everybody out. So when you look at the Rays and go, I don't know, the starting pitching is hurt. That's true. They keep inventing guys like Robert Stevenson and Jake Diekman, and up and down, like finding guys and making them better. Bonus fun fact, Robert Stevenson's mother is Filipino. And in May, uh, the Pirates, when he was still there, had an Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Night. And in honor of his mother, he wore these custom red, white, blue, and yellow cleats uh, with the the name of the province that his mother lived in on. I, I can't do them justice. I encourage you to go find a picture. They were extremely cool. And that was great that he was able to do that. So Robert Stevenson will not be, my guess, the last like raise pop-up reliever we ever talk about here there seems to be a new one every six weeks so i'm very excited to find out which i don't know twins reliever is a raise great next year it always seems to be somebody
1: um, our pirate supporter, Justice De Los Santos Wrote a story about uh, Stephen his mom When he wore those cleats So if you want to find it, you can Google that And you will find the story um, My guy for this week, believe it or not Also has a connection to Jeff Hoffman A former capital G guy what? From this podcast Really? And that I didn't is know that. Gavin Williams Of the Cleveland Guardians Who played college baseball At East Carolina University And there have only been two pitchers in, ma- in history to be drafted in the first round out of East Carolina University, they are Gavin Williams and Jeff Hoffman. Okay. <laughs> and do you know which, pl- and, and bonus fun fact before we get to Gavin Williams, the player out of East Carolina uh, Carolina with the highest career war in Major League history is, wait for it, Chad Tracy. Although I think that uh, when all said and done, Gavin Williams will probably pass the five and a half career war that uh, Chad Tracy put up. Uh, you might have heard about Gavin Williams this week because on Monday night against the Blue Jays, the G- Guardians rookie, through seven innings, uh, struck out 12 and walked one. He became the first pitcher in Cleveland history to have at least 12 strikeouts while allowing no more than one hit. It was the most strikeouts in a start by a Cleveland rookie since Louis Tiant in nineteen sixty-four. Um, Gavin Williams was now as a two nine O ERA through nine starts, and he wasn't even really supposed to be in the majors as quickly, but Cleveland promoted him because he's had they've had so many injuries in their starting rotation. And they even traded away Aaron Savali, which had people scratching their heads of like, why are they trading away a quality starting pitcher? Well, Cleveland, they cannot hit. They're last in the majors in barrels by a wide amount. The Braves have more than twice as many barrels as the Guardians do. But they just keep churning out the starting pitchers. In fact, I probably could have picked Tanner Is it BB, Bybee. I don't even know how to Bybee. Pick. It is Tanner Bybee. And I could have picked Tanner Bybee, who was a another rookie for the Guardians, who was their fifth round pick in 2021. But I'm going to go with Gavin Williams, who was their first round pick in 2021. He's got an interesting backstory. He was one of the top prep pitchers in the 2017 class. He went to Cape Fear High School in Fayetteville, North Carolina. He once threw two consecutive no hitters in high school as part of a 23 inning pitch hitless streak. Take that, Johnny Vandermeer! Um, and so, coming out of high school, he was ranked as one of the top top 200 um, top 200 prospects in the draft by uh, MLB Pipeline. He was actually number 119. Um, but he wanted to go to ECU. He was actually taken in the 30th round by the Rays. He did not sign. Um, kind of struggled in his first three years of college. In his, What was supposed to be his draft year, 2020, he only threw three innings because he was hurt in the pandemic hit. Um, and the draft was only five, five rounds that year, so he didn't get drafted. Uh, and then the following year, he came back his senior year, and he was sort of looked at, like, oh, this guy might be a relief pitching prospect, and he took off as a senior at East Carolina, he struck out 130 batters in 81 in the third innings. He went number 23 overall to the Guardians uh, out of East Carolina. And basically, two years later, a little less than two years later, he's in the major leagues. He's been dominant. He's like, what's, what I like about him too is he's just like a fastball guy. You know, so many, we, we talk about these guys in this podcast all the time like, oh, he throws their slider more than their fastball. He throws 60% fastballs. It's a four seamer. He's got 99th percentile extension. Um, so he's six foot six. 250 pounds and he's got a 99th percentile extension so like the ball just like gets on top of you very quickly um there was a quote in the piece that mandy bell wrote the other day by their pitching coach carl willis who basically was like yeah he's like the ride on this pitch is not that great but it gets on you so quick because of that extension um so gad williams that's my guy oh, i love it
0: you are we, we should we should at least mention there is another ecu graduate uh succeeding a little bit in the majors and that is st louis outfielder alec burleson so wait chad tracy is not a name i thought about for a while but here's i can tell you exactly what's going to happen i remember chad tracy from the diamondbacks and absolutely nowhere else but i'm sure he played other places and i'm going to go find out and then i'm going to use him in immaculate grid the absolute next time that i can
1: the one other east carolina baseball fact i will mention um which some listeners might know is that mike trout was committed to play college baseball at east carolina and I don't know if he was ever actually like going to. If they, I don't think there's ever really a chance that he was going to play college ball because I think he was always going to be drafted high enough to um, to to sign. But there's a lot of these like stories out there, of, like you know, famous players and like where they would have where they were committed to play college baseball in East Carolina. He would he would have been number one on their war list had he ended up playing in college
0: for the record chad tracy played for arizona the cubs the marlins and the nationals so the next time like an andre dawson-esque spot comes up in immaculate grid and you want rarity points throw the hawk out the window and go right to chad tracy you will have a great day that will do it for this week's podcast don't miss an episode by subscribing on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you get your podcasts if you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions leave us a rating and a review thanks for listening to the ballpark dimensions podcast see you next week